Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You could use a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At my website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK World Radio Japan, Radio Havana Cuba, and George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. 2022 was a year where extreme weather events became quite common, right up to the devastating blizzard in North America. But can the deadly snowstorm be attributed to climate change caused by human activity? The European Union has imposed a windfall tax on oil companies for excess profits, and now Exxon is suing the European Union to avoid the tax. Spain passed a 10 billion euro economic aid package to help ordinary citizens struggling under inflation. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Severe weather events are becoming increasingly common. Floods, fires, and extreme temperatures wreaked havoc across the world in 2022, one of the warmest years on record. Places where cold is the norm are experiencing abnormal temperatures with devastating consequences. This is no rowdy ski holiday. It's a research station near the South Pole. And minus 11.8 degrees Celsius was 40 degrees hotter than usual on March 18th. It's probably the largest temperature anomaly ever recorded. Incredibly, at the same time at the North Pole, some places were 30 degrees warmer than usual. Mountain glaciers, such as this one in the Himalayas that feeds the mighty river Ganges, continued to shrink as India was hit by heat waves that came earlier and were longer and or hotter than usual. Pakistan also sweltered. A few weeks later, both countries were hit by massive monsoon rains. One-third of Pakistan was flooded, creating a huge humanitarian emergency. The floods destroyed farmland, killed more than 1,700 people, and displaced more than 33 million. West Africa also suffered an unusually heavy rainy season, with months of flooding in Nigeria displacing up to 2 million people. In East Africa, the rains failed again, worsening the most severe drought in recent history. The UN says 36 million people are affected in Somalia and parts of Ethiopia and Kenya, with more than 5 million children malnourished. In Madagascar, the seasonal rains also failed. After four years of drought, the south of the island is facing a food crisis. In some places, residents have had to dig into the dry riverbed to find water. 2022 also saw China suffer its longest and harshest heat wave on record, with the Yangtze and other rivers reduced to mere trickles and many lakes turned into dust bowls.
And for more on this, let's talk to Matthew Capucci. He's a meteorologist and atmospheric scientist based out of Washington, D.C. The blizzard of the century, they're calling it. Has this storm in North America earned that title? I think it most definitely has because it had so many different acts. It actually began as something called a bomb cyclone, essentially this rapidly intensifying low pressure system over the Great Lakes that caused a flash freeze to the east, brought an Arctic Siberian cold front across the central U.S., dumped prolific snows and brought temperatures down to minus 40 Celsius over the north central U.S., winds to probably 90 to 130 kilometers per hour. And then the second act occurred in Buffalo with lake effect snows totaling about 150 or more centimeters. So I think the question everyone's asking is whether or not this particular event is tied to human-induced climate change. When it comes to Buffalo, so there are certain things we can link to climate change, certain things we can't link to climate change, because weather, of course, is sort of what you get, and climate is what you expect. In the case of what happened in Buffalo, I, I think that you know, if we were seeing warmer water temperatures in the Great Lakes, uh, we would be saying, yes, likely more snowfall and sort of more lake effect snows. Uh, what happened in Buffalo, though, doesn't really bear that fingerprint because the water temperatures were normal and ice cover over the lake was normal. So Buffalo, probably not. That said, there are some things that will be made more extreme thanks to climate change. Uh, wetter storm systems, more drought at times uh, due to something called the closet clamp-arm relationship. Basically, warmer air can hold more water stronger hurricanes, and perhaps, uh, like we said, bigger flood events ultimately. Is there much that humans can do to limit the damage to the climate that, that we've already caused, do you think? So this will sound like a rather pessimistic uh, answer, but unfortunately, uh, the climate is kind of like a, a freight train, that there are a couple stable states. Once you push Earth out of its stable state, the Earth will start accelerating towards a different stable state. So we were in kind of a comfy place for a while. We started nudging Earth towards a hothouse scenario. Whether or not that comes to be realized remains to be seen. What humans should be doing is adapting and mitigating, changing their infrastructure to be ready for what's coming tomorrow, rather than building our infrastructure based on what was normal for today. Meteorologist and atmospheric scientist Matthew Capucci in Washington, D.C. Exxon is suing the European Union in an attempt to force Brussels to drop its windfall tax against oil companies. The tax is supposed to raise 25 billion euros to help reduce energy bills. However, Exxon believes the EU doesn't have the authority to introduce such a tax. Teddy Ostro has the story from New York for us. Teddy, tell us why Exxon is suing the EU. What's its argument here? Well, it's as you said, Exxon really is challenging the authority of the European Commission to impose this so-called solidarity levy. And it rests on a distinction between whether this tax is actually alleviating the energy shortage or it's just impacting the prices which have been crushing uh, European consumers. Now, Exxon argues it is the latter and therefore um, the emergency that the European Commission, uh, that situation that it used to impose this tax without a unanimous vote, that that means uh, they did not follow the procedures and therefore it's been an abuse of power. This is what Exxon is arguing. Now, I think it's important to mention that Exxon, of course, does not want to pay its tax liability, which would amount to about two billion euros. Uh, and this is during a year of record breaking profits. So this uh, tax situation, it really is about eating into profits. Exxon does not want that. This really has to do with setting a precedent, uh, because if this tax goes through, that means the European Union and other sovereign nations would be able to continue with legislation like it. Exxon does not want it. They want open season 
for uh, oil companies and uh, other fossil fuel companies to be able to resist legislation like this and to protect their profits. We're already seeing more resistance in, in uh, countries like Italy with similar levies and also potentially in Spain. And Spain has passed a new 10 billion euro economic aid package in order to help ordinary Spaniards facing mounting costs. Under the plan, value-added tax has been removed or lowered on many food staples. Currently in force, rent and eviction controls are also being extended. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. Next, NHK World Radio Japan. Taiwan is stepping up its military affiliation with Japan, extending its mandatory conscription to a year, and accepting $10 billion in U.S. military assistance over the next five years. China announced new military drills to express dissatisfaction with U.S. interference in Taiwan. South Korea says drones from the north entered their airspace. Three Russian military personnel died from Ukrainian drones on a Russian airbase 500 kilometers from the border of eastern Ukraine. China will lessen some of its travel restrictions under a new COVID policy. NHK Japan Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and a senior member of Japan's main ruling Liberal Democratic Party have confirmed both sides will strengthen bilateral security coordination. The move comes at a time when China is stepping up military pressure on Taiwan. Upper House lawmaker and LDP executive Seko Hiroshige is leading a party delegation to Taiwan. The group includes lawmakers belonging to the LDP faction once led by late former Prime Minister Abe Shinzo. Yesterday, Taiwan decided to extend the term of military conscription to one year and also to intensify the content of the training. Taiwan will continue to work closely with countries with close ideals such as Japan, the United States and the EU and work together to maintain peace and stability and create prosperity and development in the region. Seko said recent moves by Tokyo and Washington will also help serve as a strong deterrent to attempts to change the region's status quo by force. He referred to the Japanese government's plan to drastically strengthen its defense capabilities, as well as the U.S. approval of legislation to enhance military assistance to Taiwan. China's military says it has conducted strike drills in the sea and airspace around Taiwan. This is apparently in response to the passage of a new U.S. defense authorization law. The legislation includes up to $10 billion in military assistance for Taiwan over the next five years. The People's Liberation Army's Eastern Theater Command released a statement on Sunday. It said the drills are a resolute response to the current escalation of collusion and provocation from the United States and Taiwan. But the command did not give details about the drills or their exact location. Taiwan's defense ministry said on Sunday that it is monitoring all relevant movements. 
The ministry said it deployed troops to defend its sovereignty and territorial waters along the median line of the Taiwan Strait. South Korea's defense ministry says five North Korean drones entered its airspace on Monday morning, and one of them came near Seoul. The defense ministry says the aircraft were detected around 10.25 a.m. and the South Korean military fired warning shots. The military scrambled attack helicopters and other aircraft to shoot down the drones, but failed. The officials said they took measures to prevent harm to the public. South Korean media say the drones were in South Korean airspace for about seven hours. One of them reportedly flew near the capital before returning to North Korea. The other four flew around the northwestern island of Kanhua and disappeared from radar. South Korea's military responded by sending manned and unmanned aircraft north of the military demarcation line to take photos of North Korean military facilities. Some experts in South Korea say this may be part of the North's effort to strengthen its reconnaissance capabilities. They also point to the possibility that North Korea carry out reconnaissance during a winter drill by its military. The Russian Defense Ministry says three military personnel were killed in a drone attack by Ukrainian forces on an airbase in southern Russia. It was the second attack this month on the Engels airbase. Ukrainian and Russian media reported two explosions took place early Monday morning at the airbase in the Saratov region. The airbase is about 500 kilometers from Russia's frontier with eastern Ukraine. The Saratov governor says there were no emergencies in residential areas and civil infrastructure facilities were not damaged. The Russian Defense Ministry announced the air raid through Russian news agencies. It said an unmanned Ukrainian aerial vehicle was shot down, but three Russian servicemen were fatally wounded as a result of the fall of the wreckage of the drone. A spokesperson for the Ukrainian Air Force hinted Ukraine was involved in the latest attack. The official told local media these are the consequences of Russian aggression. The Engels Air Base is one of Russia's main bases for strategic bombers. It reportedly came under a drone attack on December 5th. Independent Russian media said two Tupolev-95 long-range bombers were damaged in the attack. The Chinese government said on Monday it will ease cross-border restrictions and let people travel abroad, depending on the international COVID situation. But Beijing has banned travel agencies from taking bookings for group tours and selling packages. And it's calling on people not to go overseas for the time being. The government hasn't indicated when these constraints will be lifted. The surge in coronavirus cases in China has prompted Japanese and Taiwanese authorities to step up their controls on travelers from the country. Starting January 1st, Passengers entering Taiwan on direct flights from China will have to take a PCR test upon arrival. From Friday, Japan will introduce COVID antigen tests for people arriving from China as an emergency border control measures. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 9865 or up on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. 
they also have podcasts at most podcast sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. Deforestation in the Amazon basin nearly doubled under President Bolsonaro, mostly on indigenous lands. A London-based Christian organization calculated the cost of disasters caused by the human effect of climate in 2022. Syrian government troops confronted a U.S. military convoy that had recently protected 95 oil tankers stealing oil into Iraq. Radio Havana, Cuba. Deforestation in the Amazon during the government of outgoing Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, which began in 2019 and will conclude on January the 1st, increased by 94% compared to years prior to his administration, according to a study. The Social Environmental Institute assured in its annual report that Bolsonaro's administration meant the greatest environmental setback of the century, with a 94% increase in deforestation compared to years prior to his administration. According to data from the non-governmental association, NGO, the main cause of the abrupt increase is directly related to the dismantling of environmental management bodies. In addition, the stoppage in the demarcation of indigenous lands and the surrender of large territorial extensions to transnational companies also played a role. The study reported a deforestation rate of 157% in indigenous territories as part of the Bolsonaro administration's promotion of environmental illegality on ancestral territories. It added that the balance of deforestation in protected areas in the Bolsonaro administration has a disastrous balance. Data from Prodesh show that these areas are under intense pressure and that the increase in forest degradation on indigenous lands has reached 157%. A faith-based coalition's annual report on the economic impact of climate-driven natural disasters revealed on Tuesday that each of the costliest extreme weather events in 2022 caused more than $3 billion in damage. The report, entitled Counting the Cost 2022, a year of climate breakdown, was published by Christian Aid, a London-based relief agency of over 40 UK and Irish churches seeking more urgent climate action by Global North Nations, which are most responsible for the greenhouse emissions that fuel global heating. Without cuts in greenhouse gas emissions, this human and financial toll will only increase. The costliest disaster in this year's report, Hurricane Ian, struck Cuba and the southeastern United States, killing more than 150 people in both countries, causing around $100 billion in damage and displacing 40,000 people. Other major natural disasters covered in the report include the floods in Pakistan that kill over 1,700 people, while displacing 7 million others and causing $30 billion in economic damage, and the European drought and heat wave, which killed more than 1,000 people and cost around $20 billion. The report's contributors note that the most of the damage estimates are based solely on insured losses and that the true financial cost of each event is likely even higher. The number of extreme weather events we have seen across the globe in both 2021 and again in 2022 should be a wake-up call to the international community. Newcastle University School of Engineering professor Haley Fowler, who specializes in the impacts of climate change, said in a statement. Syrian government troops have confronted the United States military convoy northeastern province of Hasaka as the occupation forces were attempting to pass through a community in the energy-rich region. 
Amid an increase in public anger over the presence of American occupation forces, Syrian army troops stationed at the checkpoint at the entrance of the village of Tel Dahab, which lies south of the city of Kamishli, blocked and expelled the convoy of several armored vehicles, according to Syria's official Sana News Agency. The convoy was forced to turn around and return to the direction it had come from. The development came days after United States occupation forces in northeastern Syria sent 95 tankers of stolen Syrian oil to Iraq in two separate convoys. The batches of stolen oil were sent from the Jazeera and eastern regions in Syria's Hasaka to northern Iraq through the illegal Mahmudiyya and Al-Walid border crossings late on December 22nd. The U.S. military has for long stationed its forces and equipment in northeastern Syria, with the Pentagon claiming that the deployment is aimed at preventing the oil fields in the area from falling into the hands of Daesh terrorists. Damascus, however, maintains the development. The deployment is meant to plunder the country's natural resources. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu. There's no podcast up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Willits, California did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. Johnny Miller is a UK reporter who has been living in eastern Ukraine. He says that Ukrainian forces are killing Ukrainian civilians in that region and it is not reported. He quotes Noam Chomsky and John Pilger who both say that there is more propaganda in this war than any other modern conflict. George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. Johnny Miller, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. Nobody ever says in the Western media that Zelensky is bombing his own people. He's killing his own people. They say that the whole of Ukraine is theirs. Their war aim is to recover all of their national territory, which means that the very people they are killing on a daily basis since 2014 are their own people that they're killing. I wonder if it ever occurs to Western journalists that that used to trip off their tongue in relation to Iraq so easily. The week before I was, I left just last week, 20 civilians, around 20 civilians were killed by the shelling, just indiscriminate shelling. I went to a church. It's very difficult living in these places. There's a beautiful cathedral there. Sometimes I go, I'm spending more time in churches. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I go there and try to find some peace there. And I think about this cathedral being hit. The next day it was hit. And just a few days ago, a, a missile went through the roof and put a hole in its roof. Uh, and it's an incredibly underreported story. And this is why 
Noam Chomsky, the great Noam Chomsky, and John Pilger, the great Australian journalist, both recently came out and said that there's no war in hit that they've ever seen, that there's been more propaganda than this war. And they've been reporting and, and commenting on war since Vietnam. And you have to ask yourself, why in this war there's been more propaganda than any other war? A lot of Russian people have been damaged by the sanctions, particularly people in IT, for example, who deal with trade in the West. But most Russians haven't. These sanctions, it must be the stupidest policy in modern European history to sanction a country in Russia. And the sanctions seem to be doing more damage to Europe than they are uh, to Russia. And that's why you need such a level of propaganda in this war to convince the European people to continue to support a war in which they're having to drop their own living standards. And when there is a clearly a peace available, that's why there's so much propaganda in this war. Any serious international analyst or historian knows perfectly well that NATO has played a role in provoking, provoking this war. That's not controversial. That's just very obvious. But anybody who says that is deemed to be some kind of pro-Putin pro or Kremlin propagandist. And the level of propaganda in this war, and that's why you have this huge cover-up of Ukraine and of the, the, the extremist Nazi element. My translator in Donbass is a Jew. She's a Jewish woman. She's a translator at a local university. She's shocked. Uh, I asked her, how do you feel about European governments supporting the Azov Battalion, who are in Donbass in Mariupol, near where she lives? How do you feel about the Azov Battalion? She says, well, we, we, we as the Jewish community in Donbass, we knew that there were people of this idea who existed, but we were shocked that the European governments would support them. The European governments supporting these people, it's shocking. And there's so many, most European children are taught rightly about the Holocaust at schools. And now when you have this extremism in Ukraine, and it's not just Russian propaganda, there's a huge extremist element in Ukraine. You know, I, I'm a, I don't believe the, Brit the British government has bombed many countries over the last 20 years or so, killed many civilians. But I don't believe the British government, as a matter of course, daily targets civilians with its bombing. That's what Ukraine does. Uh, and it's shocking, these cover-ups. And the level of propaganda in this war is extreme because, because European people are suffering more than the Russian people are suffering. And I think this is a massive, not just immoral mistake from European governments and the British government, but a massive strategic error from the European governments. You know, I'm a leftist. I'm sorry if this offends you, George, or some of your viewers, but frankly, I prefer Margaret Thatcher in power right now, or, or certainly uh, Winston Churchill, who I think would make better strategic decisions uh, for our people than the current lot are, are doing right now. The Soviets have been preparing for a war with the whole of NATO for, for decades. The, the Russians have huge military stockpiles and very advanced weaponry. And it's very difficult to see. And, and I'm wondering whether there's just a breakdown of NATO strategy, of whether they actually believe that they can win this war and take back these four regions, or whether they just want the war to carry on as long as possible, make money for arms manufacturers, try forlornly to try to damage Russia as much as possible, even though European people are suffering. I wonder whether they believe their own propaganda and they think they can win this war. It's very difficult to see how the Ukrainians can take back these, these four regions. When Russia... They're not going to cause the breakdown of Russian uh, society, even if Vladimir Putin was ousted. It's more, much more likely that a more hardline uh, president or leader was put in power in Russia. Most Russians are more unhappy. Most, a lot of Russians are saying we should be bombing Ukraine harder. Uh, I spoke to one Russian government official uh, a few days ago who says that we're really holding off. The, uh, we haven't taken off the gloves yet. Frankly, Russia could destroy cities. Frankly, Russia could give the warning in Kiev to evacuate people and destroy Kiev, and that's without uh, nuclear weapons. The more NATO supplies weapons to Ukraine, simply the more of Ukraine will be destroyed and the more Ukrainian people will die. Uh, and that's the reality of, of, of this war. Johnny Miller, 
Stay safe. That interview was on George Galloway's mother of all talk shows. George is a 30-year former member of the British Parliament whose interviews used to be on Russia Today for many, many years until they were shut down by the European Union and the United States. He now posts his shows on YouTube. Search for his channel called George Galloway. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at the website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.